Mike Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right. It's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Rob Barnett will join us to discuss the economist's diet. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Rocketron 5000. And our world-famous question a week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. Science show. Well, does today's obesity epidemic have everything to do with the economy? Does a supply glut of cheap and fattening food tempt us to eat too much, while a slew of fad diets and light products simply offer quick fixes that are not realistic in the long run? Well, join us today to discuss this issue is Mr. Rob Barnett. Mr. Barnett is an energy expert and senior analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence, has worked for Bloomberg since 2011. He holds master's degrees in economics from Boston University and undergrees in electrical engineering from Clemson University. He has penned the new book along with his colleague, Dr. Christopher Payne, entitled The Economist's Diet, The Surprising Formula for Losing Weight and Keeping It Off. And uh, Mr. Barnett, we're very pleased to have you today on the Grok Science Show. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, certainly our pleasure. Certainly a fascinating book you've written here, The Economist's Diet. I'm curious, why did you decide to write this book? Well, for Chris and I, we would start with this is a personal struggle for both of us. We are both formally obese, severely obese individuals in my case. Uh, at my peak weight, I was about 250 pounds. And today I'm about 70 pounds less than that. Uh, Chris has a similar narrative in his own life about weight loss. So uh, we both struggled with our weight for many years, and we ultimately came to similar conclusions. We went down the same path. And for us, it was never about knowledge of, well, this food is healthy for you or versus that food. We already knew that salad was good for us. We just couldn't figure out how to maintain uh, weight loss through time. And, and we work professionally as economists, and we realized that many of the solutions had to do with behavior rather than nutrition. And economics is really the study of human behavior. What is it then that the economist's viewpoint with this insight into behavior can offer in terms of helping uh, individuals uh, stick to a weight loss regimen? Absolutely. Look, we don't think there's any surprise, frankly. As GDP per capita has increased through time, right there in lockstep with it, calorie consumption per capita has increased. You go look at the data, it's clear. Why are we struggling with obesity as a society? It's because we're eating too much, which is really not that surprising. So, uh, and, I, and I used to be there personally myself. And so what we would say is there are, there are behavior modifications that start with data. And so if you don't have a scale today, I'd say go out and buy one. It doesn't have to be a fancy scale, uh, but 
if you can't measure it, you can't control it. Knowing your daily weight, where you stand on the scale each morning is so fundamental. We think there's economic reasons to support it, but the layman's uh, idea is basically your behavior from day to day is going to be reflected on the scale the following day. If I go out and eat a pizza tonight, I am going to see myself up one, maybe two more pounds the following day. And so there's an important feedback loop that every individual can learn to manage if they start stepping on the scale. And a lot of our findings really flow from this important insight in our view. So really being able to monitor progress uh, constantly, being able to adjust as it goes along, really critical to this whole process. Absolutely. But there's other things as well. Look, uh, it's not, you definitely, we think you've got to have a laser-like focus on your weight. It is the thing you're trying to measure. It's not about measuring calories or fat content of food, all of those things. Those are secondary to the thing you're trying to control, which is your weight. So we, we, we would start there. But that doesn't mean that other data isn't useful. We are a fan of what we would call being calorie conscious rather than calorie counting. Calorie counting is akin to a planning exercise in a communist co- economy, in our view. There's just so many things that you have to understand to really translate calories into what you're going to weigh. Your metabolic rates, they're going to vary from individual to individual. The kind of foods probably affect the body differently. So a calorie may not be a calorie. There's all kinds of things that you have to account for if you're trying to count calories. But that being said, it's a useful metric. So if you find yourself out at a restaurant and it's not a special occasion and you're trying to uh, manage day-to-day, the kinds of food you're going to eat, the calorie information can nudge you into a better direction. You'd be surprised at how many salads can have a very high caloric content. Most people would say, hey, a salad, that's a healthy meal. Uh, But then they don't look at everything that's in the salad. You can easily get a salad that's 750 calories, 800 calories. So what you should use is that calorie information to nudge you to maybe a lower calorie salad. We don't think you should necessarily have to keep track of it in a diary from day to day, uh, but there's all kinds of things that come out of a, a behavioral approach to thinking about food. Frankly, my co-author and I, we don't eat the same thing. So paying attention to the behaviors of thin people is a, a, a fundamental thing. For instance, we don't recommend eating three square meals a day. We only recommend one square meal with two lighter meals. And that that's just simply a lifestyle choice that we think is necessary given modern sedentary lifestyles. So really the calorie requirements that are out there are perhaps not fitting for everybody and everyone's situation. That's right. And again, you you have to think about calories as a guide rather than the uh, end-all, be-all. We think, again, there's more important things to help you manage your weight through time. I mean, frankly, 
uh, we're skeptical of what we would describe as the diet industrial complex. Look, there is the language of marketing has confused us on, in many ways, what a healthy diet is. There are diet this, diet that, there's fat-free, low-calorie. These words are meant to confuse the consumer. And so we, we would just throw all of that out. You know, if, if, you, if you're going to have um, a soda, which we don't recommend doing that often, and you'll learn that the soda will impact you on the scale if you're weighing yourself every day. But if you're going to have one, have the real thing. Don't bother with the diet version. Uh, diet versions of food are particularly contrived to help convince you that something is healthier than it really is. And so uh, there, there are – you don't see too many thin people – drinking soda very often of any kind, but they're probably not, they're certainly not drinking diet soda that often, at least uh, in, in our view. You also argue that uh, simplicity is an important for the economist diet. It is. Uh, there's a really interesting concept in economics called diminishing marginal returns. And so what does that mean? That means that uh, as you have some more of something, it becomes it provides you with less happiness and less utility. So I give you one Oreo, to use a food example, you're really going to enjoy it. If I give you a whole pack of Oreos and you try to eat the whole thing, by the last Oreo, you're not going to get nearly as much satisfaction as you did out of the first Oreo. So this is useful in a general context about dieting in that what we say is a, a, a boring diet is a slimming diet. And if you're eating a lot of the same things over and over again, you, the diminishing marginal returns from, from those foods will help you to resist the ur urge to overeat. I mean, th there, there are some, some interesting case studies out there where folks have gone and lost weight by eating solely at McDonald's or you know other fast food chains. And, you know, we, for health reasons, that may not be the wisest thing to do. But what's going on there? They, they, got, they got tired of eating McDonald's, so they started eating less of it and they lost weight, right? And so broadly across the, the spectrum, unless it's a special occasion, we don't recommend going out and, uh, and, and just constantly moving from food group to food group to food group and different restaurant, different restaurant, different restaurant, because it will, it will never get – it will never get boring to you and you'll, you'll have a, this propensity to overeat. So we definitely recommend uh, eating a lot of the same foods day in and day out if you can. And it'll make those occasions when you get to splurge uh, all that more fulfilling. Absolutely. And, and, and speaking of splurges, uh, we, we advocate that. I mean, it, it is part of the book because at the end of the day, one of the reasons that we think many of the nutritional approaches to dieting fail in the long run is because they tell you uh, they, they, they sort of ban certain kinds of foods that might very well be popular, that you might enjoy eating. And nobody wants to be uh, austere in all aspects of their life constantly. Um, you've, you've got to go out and 
have a feast with your friends on occasion and and enjoy life. That's human. It it is is fundamental to we to who we are. So we recommend you know if you enjoy a good burger, Tex-Mex, those are things I like. I, I would never succeed in a diet that said I could never have those things again. But the key is how I approach it. If I know I'm going out with my friends to get uh, a, some beers and a burger, I, I, I do that. But the thing is, for the I might skip lunch uh, that day or uh, maybe breakfast the next day, depending on the... Uh, the, the, the context and the timing and how everything plays out. But that is one of the things that we think thin people generally do is you, 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 you've got a budget around, uh, the, the, uh, the, the, the splurges or the, the sort of feast that you're going to have on occasion. And, and so, you know, that's not to say we're, we're not advocating extreme fasting where you might go a whole day without eating or whatever. That's, that's, we're not advocates of that, but certainly uh, if you have a big lunch, it makes sense to have a small dinner. And frankly, if you talk to people who are thin quite often or who manage their weight well, what you'll see is, you know, look, I can go out and have a meal uh, and especially when I was overweight, I would eat the same thing that my thin friends and family would eat. I would look around and say, well, gosh, why are they thin? And here I was, uh, severely obese. But the thing is, I wasn't following them around for all of the meals that they were eating that day or the next day. I was just there eating them that one time. And so I think you can get uh, confused if you're just observing the eating behavior on a single meal of a thin person. I promise you, a thin person goes out and has a big splurge. They either had a small breakfast or they skipped dinner, whatever. They're, they're going to manage it through time. They're not going to eat like that every meal because it's just inconsistent with the slim waistline. The other aspect, of course, of, of losing weight, you know, there's diet and there's exercise. And I know, do you think the same economic principles could apply to, to developing a healthier exercise regime? Look, we are advocates of exercise in the sense that uh, it, it, it can do good things for your life and your body. And there's lots of reasons to exercise. However, we don't think that you can exercise your way out of a bad diet. When I was at my peak weight, I actually exercised more than I do now. I would love to be able to exercise my way out of bad diet. When I first lost all of my weight, a lot of folks came up to me and their, their response, a very typical response was, hey, you've been hitting the gym, right? And, and really, uh, that's just simply not the case. Look, if you're Michael Phelps and you're working out eight hours a day, I bet you can eat anything you want. But if you're a typical office worker balancing a job, family, social life, all these things. What's your best case scenario for working out? Maybe an hour a day. That's fine. I mean, I, I, most days I get in an hour at the gym. That's great. But the thing is that hour is not sufficient to, uh, to, to really overcome a lot of diets that people find themselves in, or at least the way I used to eat, it wasn't sufficient for, uh, keeping me, uh, at a healthy weight. So, uh, exercise is great, but fundamentally, it's much more about what you're putting in your body in our view.
Uh, well, we are in slightly out of time. I'm just curious if you have some uh, final words regarding the Economist diet. Well, thanks. I would encourage anyone to take a look. You can find our website, theeconomistdiet.com, and we're active on Twitter at the handle at econdiet. We look forward to hearing from you. All right. Well, the new book is The Economist's Diet, The Surprising Formula for Losing Weight and Keeping It Off. Uh, the authors Chris Payne and Mr. Rob Barnett. And uh, Mr. Barnett, I want to thank you very much for joining us today on the Grox Science Show. My pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.